Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of That's What Be Said. I'm your host, Bree at Breezy Clee. Tonight, I am joined by Meredith Kane at MCAN Sports. Hello, Meredith. Hello, Bree. I sound way too cheerful for this, right? Like, this is, I should not be this cheerful. I mean, you sound the way should you I normally start over? do. I don't know. <laughs> should you come and be like, hey, guys. Hello. It's Bree Like, it's your host, <laughs> Bree Rust. You can you could you can find me on on Twitter at um, Breezy Clee. Sad face. Did I do a good fake cry? Was that believable? It was it was very believable. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for joining no, me. So okay, it's a Monday night, and the Browns had a horrible horrible loss uh, yesterday. To the Cardinals, thirty-seven to fourteen, and honestly, the score might might as well have been like seventy-five to six. Uh, it it felt that bad, um, but Meredith and I were talking right before the show, and we were just kind of saying like, we weren't really even like I'm not in a bad mood. Like the game yesterday didn't ruin me. Like sometimes no. the losses do. You feel the same? Yeah, I think for me it was just more. Um, just frustration because yeah. like obviously when I'm when I'm at the stadium I'm on the clock I'm working um you know there's like never a moment where I'm not working and so for me it was more of frustration because I don't like having to cover a losing team because I've I've done both like I've covered winning teams and I've covered losing teams and let me tell you it is a lot more fun covering a winning right. team and so for me it was just more of frustration and like even one of my colleagues said like oh i think at this point we're just trying to run out the clock and at that point there was like 12 minutes left in the game and i was like <laughs> yeah yeah we're just like at this point we just want to like you know that adam sandler movie click where he had the remote yes like we just wanted to hit fast forward on the remote at that point yeah I so this obviously this is something this team under Kevin Stefanski has not experienced before. They dropped two in a row, two losses in a row. That has not happened since Kevin has come on board to this coaching staff. And I w- I would say like maybe this is one of his worst losses. You could argue that his first game against the Ravens last year, and even the first game against the Steelers last year. I think when the Browns were four and one um heading into that game or maybe they were five and one I don't even remember at that point but um this was a bad loss this one this one felt really bad right from the start um but kind of going back off with what you were saying I was at the game yesterday so I got to witness this loss in person which some might say is is even more unbearable because you know you spend the money you travel in my case you know an hour and a half to go up there to see your team just completely lay an egg uh but i don't know for me watching in person actually is easier when they're losing and i don't know i can't figure out why and i was talking to my husband like when we were walking back to the car which it's like one of the saddest walks that you'll ever do walking back to your car after a Browns loss where like all of the, I don't know how many fans does that stadium hold? 70,000 people are funneling out of first energy and there's only one way out of that stadium. Oh my gosh. And yeah, like all the roads are closed around it too. Yes. I mean, you pretty much when you're leaving the stadium, you are either going like you have to go left or right, or I guess you could go into the lake, which that honestly might be the better option after losses <laughs> is just directly walking into the lake. I don't know. Oh my God. If you tried to like jump into the lake from the parking lot at First Energy, that is, that would be, so, you would die. That is so dangerous. Yes. Um. But so we were walking back to the car and my husband, I was like, why does it like, why does this walk feel like we are 10 miles away versus, you know, like when you're there and you're walking to the stadium, like you kind of got a little pep in your step. You're excited. And then on the way back, it's just dreadful. And you're surrounded by a million other people that are also just miserable. They're mad. They're upset. And my husband was like, well, yeah, like all of the optimism has left your body. By optimism, does he mean alcohol? Like, cause no, people I didn't are starting, even, like, no, people are starting am, to sober up at that point. Well, yes, not you, probably but like, other people, but I am not yeah. a drinker. I am not a game day drinker, which I know probably makes me 
an odd person out at the games, but um, I have to come home and parent. So I try to be responsible and I'm a lightweight also. So can I tell a funny story about yes, about drinking at a football game? Sure. Um, so one of my best friends, she's been my best friend since we were 11 years old. She had um, a cousin who played for a D1 school. Like he didn't make the NFL, but he was he was good. And she went to like a teeny tiny liberal arts college that didn't have sports. And there was one one year where like while her cousin was still um, on the team, they were playing Virginia Tech. And so we decided to go to that game. And it was a lot of fun. We were tailgating. We were getting like really like nice and drunk. And then we got in the stadium and she was like, I'm going to go get us a few more beers. Like, what do you want? And I looked at her and I was like, they don't sell alcohol here. And she's like, what do you mean they don't sell alcohol? And I was like, this is, I was like, this is a college. <laughs> like, I don't know whether or not it's a dry, like, I don't know if it's a dry campus or not, but most universities don't. I mean, I know that's changed now. Like, I think some do, but I was like like universities don't sell beer at their concessions and like her face was like excuse me and she was like you didn't tell me <laughs> that they didn't sell alcohol in the stadium we were much like we were in our like early 20s at yeah. the time and i was like i didn't think about it and then i realized like when i was at virginia tech we always you know had airplane bottles in our pockets and stuff like that you know like security pretended to pat us down they probably knew <laughs> they didn't care and right. so I was like, oh, my God, we forgot the airplane bottles. And she was like, what do you mean we forgot the airplane bottles? And I was like, if you want alcohol inside a college football game, you have to sneak it in. And like the look on her face, like I was like, we made a royal mistake. We started to sober up by halftime. And by the third quarter, we're like, do you think we could like nap in the bathroom or something? <laughs> <'Cause>, like, <laughs> we started getting like, the, you know, like that moment when you're like starting to sober up and then you get kind of sleepy and like yep. the only way to go is to like chug a vodka Red Bull, but we couldn't get vodka no Red options. Bull. <laughs> no so. options for that in the college stadium. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we, uh, um, it, it was, we barely made it through the end of the game. And then like afterwards, like her cousin had a party and we went to the party and just like, and got even more shit faced there but like yeah, it was just like this moment of like oh yeah you can't buy alcohol in college stadiums what are we gonna do i guess we have no choice but to sober up so yeah it was like oh this was a huge mistake well fortunately for browns fans they had plenty of alcohol yeah. <laughs> available for them at yesterday's game which was much needed so um meredith i don't know if you felt this way but i felt like it was pretty much lost in the first quarter. Uh, but somehow things continued to get worse as the game wore on. Um, so what so was really weird, it was, was going into halftime, there was, I think there was a lot of optimism and, and hope going into halftime because the Browns ended that yeah, with the Hail the Mary half with a 57 yard Hail Mary pass to Donovan Peoples Jones. Like that was so great. And at that point, the game was attainable. I think it was like a. Gosh, what was it like? It was a, a two-score game, right? Yeah, it was like a, a touchdown and a field goal away, yep. which was completely attainable for the Browns. And so I think it was one of those things where, and like even I told like in our group text, I was like, my mom texted me and she said, we can still win this. Like she was excited, like they can still do it. So there's this optimism. And I think because of that play and like that deep ball is what we wanted and expected out of Baker for like every single game. Cause he was actually pretty decent with the deep ball last season. Yeah. And he was great with the deep ball in college. One of, one of the things that made him such an attractive quarterback was his accuracy. And so it was just that one pass was what Browns fans had been wanting forever. Like that's what the naysayers for Baker Mayfield have been shouting for. Like that's the type of play they expect out of him. And Things were still hopeful going into the second half, but unfortunately, I'm pretty sure that was the last time the Browns scored the entire game. Yes. I was going to say, so I actually stayed in my seat until half time. There were a lot of people that were, you know, getting the early jump start on, like going to the bathroom, getting food, whatever, because, mm -hmm. you know, at that point, you think it's pretty grim. Like, you have to rely on a Hail Mary to, like, score because there wasn't any time left. Um, yeah. But, you know, we... I, yeah, we, it was, like, 44 seconds it took them to score that touchdown, man. Yes. So we stayed in our seats for that for that one last throw. And, uh, like, honestly, 
the when Baker first of all you thought he was gonna get sacked like let's just talk about that for a minute you thought he was literally just gonna get sacked and that's Mm -hmm. how the quarter was gonna end and it would have been very fitting had they went off to halftime with a sack but Baker somehow escaped the pocket and launched the ball and it was so quiet in the stadium and everybody was sitting down you know like everybody was like oh it's just gonna be like a jump ball it's gonna get tipped around whatever and then when DPJ came down with the ball and a touchdown. It was probably one of the craziest plays I've ever seen in a live sporting event. I mean, that stadium went from dead silent to just an eruption. I mean, oh my God, so the walls electric. were literally the walls were literally shaking. It was um, I mean, I punched my husband. Like I was just, I just I literally just jumped up and punched him. And like thankfully no one was sitting to the left of me because I'm pretty sure I would have punched them too. Oh my god. <laughs> but that's it was so, that's so funny. Like I just like I have this picture of you who's like five foot nothing, exactly. hundred pounds soaking wet, punching your six foot three husband. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I landed him like right in the rib cage because that's like where I come up to him on. <laughs> oh my gosh. But that was amazing. But, you know, and then, like, got through halftime, and I was literally sitting there, and I was like, you know, even though they threw that Hail Mary and they actually came down with it, I was just thinking to myself, like, man, if we have to rely on a Hail Mary to, like, keep ourselves in this game, like, I don't know if this is going to go our way. Like, I really just still, in the back of my mind, I was just in complete doubt of them actually being being able to get anything done. And maybe part of part of why this loss didn't bother me as much as, as two weeks ago against the Chargers was, or last week against the Chargers was, I kind of was able to talk myself into them not clawing their way back into it. You know, like I had four quarters to essentially be like, listen, things are just, it's not going to go our way today. Probably going to end up losing this game. You know, if it comes down to a last second drive or a last minute drive and we lose, it's going to hurt even worse. But I was kind of preparing myself for like, it's just, it's just not going to happen today. So I think like when I'm able to have that like closure throughout the game it's easier for me to swallow than when you're in it the entire time or worse when you're leading throughout the game and then they and then they blow it at the end I don't know I take those losses harder because I feel like my my emotions are just up and down I don't know if it's just because it's like spooky season and the only the only content that I consume during spooky season is like scary stuff spooky like, things yeah <laughs> horror movies like that was a horror jokes. that was a live horror picture that we watched so we like day. we had some we had some ominous weather to begin the day like i got yes. like on my way into work i was pelted with hail Ooh. um i've never been i realized i don't think i've ever physically been outside during a hailstorm like i've been inside and watched it or like there was you know there's been times when i've like been in my car and it starts to hail but I've never been like caught in it the way I got caught in a rainstorm. And I was like, this is uncomfortable. I'm getting like pelted with ice pellets. And then like an hour and a half later, there's an effing water tornado over Lake Erie. I saw that picture you posted. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. That was had to have been an omen. I know. So I was just like, I had like a dread feeling the entire day. I was like, this is the type of weather in the spooky season movies that happens when something bad is going to happen. Like you don't get hail and water tornadoes when something good is about to happen. Right. Right. So I like, I don't know. I watched, I've been watching too many scary movies this month. Uh, Yeah. I, I don't know. So I'm going to give you some, some really scary stats to, to go with the theme. This is, this is a spooky season, scary, scary things we witnessed on Sunday. Um, there was a murder and it was, it was, it was on the Browns. Um, (laughs) I also murdered my uh, smoke detector last night, but that's another story for another day. (laughs) Was it beeping all night? It was beeping. It wouldn't stop beeping. So I took it down and I put a screwdriver through it. So your day just got continued to get better. (laughs) And then I like texted my dad. I was like, dad, I think I killed my smoke detector. And he was like, um, you're legally required to have one. I'm like, it's okay. There's another one. There's two in my apartment. I'm fine. Oh man. So Um, multiple murders yesterday. That's right. We were all witnesses. (laughs) RIP to your smoke alarm. Um, so going into the stats. So, um, Ooh, this was yikes. Yikes on bikes. Nine penalties, 88 yards. And I'm pretty sure in the first quarter alone, there were five penalties committed. I mean, that was 
that was a blast from the past with Freddie Kitchen. Oh my! Like, so at one point during the first quarter, the Browns were at negative yards. Bleh. They had more penalty yards than they had offensive yards in the first quarter. So yikes I, on bikes! Yikes on bikes! I was gonna, I was gonna say, two of the penalties occurred on the first two series on offense. Mm-hmm. I mean, like again I just had a gut feeling like when you start the game off that way on offense and you could argue some of those defensive penalties with the DPI I mean again like the Browns were on the wrong side of some bad calls horrible calls actually and and those are are, they're getting harder and harder to overcome those but again like I'm not going to say like that wasn't the reason you lost the game sure maybe you can argue that against the Chargers but no there were way too many things happening to say that the officials screwed you yeah, I mean, and I, I, I'm trying to die on my hill of referees don't win and lose games, but there were a few calls yesterday that made that hill very that yes. made that hill much smaller. To, yeah, yeah, like I don't understand how you get a roughing the passer call when the passer doesn't even get touched. Yeah, that was so, ridiculous. Yeah, so some of those things, I just, I genuinely don't understand. Like, I just want to ask the refs, like, what what was the wisdom behind that call like what happened in that moment that made you think that that was a roughing the passer situation like you're not in trouble I'm not mad I just wanted like you know like the way you talk to your five-year-old I'm not mad I just want to know why you did it yeah and I I really just want to see things be consistent like that's all I ask for if if you're gonna say that those were defensive pass interference calls then I just want the same respect when our offense is on the field and OBJ is getting face guarded the entire time he's running down the field like that's that's all I'm asking for is for it to just be fair and consistent because it's it feels like right now at this point it's blatant disrespect against the Browns yeah I mean and quite frankly I feel like the only way that it's ever going to be quote-unquote fair is like just going to robot refs (laughs) like because I like and I have no proof of this. This is just my reckless speculation. Like, I think that there are, you know, implicit biases amongst refs. Like, there's a reason why Miles Garrett gets held on every play but never gets called for it, you know? Yes. So, I mean, and it's not just in football. Like, I've seen it in in other sports, too. Like, and I'll use this, and I might get a lot of hate for this because I know he's not a very, like, if you're not a Caps fan, you don't like Tom Wilson. But, like... He is a massive dude who hits really hard and he gets called for penalties a lot, even when the his hits are clean, just because he's one of the biggest men on the ice and he just hits really hard. And everyone's like, oh, he's a dirty player. He makes dirty hits. And yeah. I'm like, one out of every 10 hits is dirty. It's just when you're that big and that aggressive, that type of hit looks different. And so I see it in other sports all the time. Like I'm convinced there's implicit biases against certain players and not just on the Browns, not just on the caps on every single team. And like, honestly, I don't know how you get rid of that because in order to like really get rid of that, like a person, like a, a physical person and living, breathing human being has to examine themselves and understand what they're doing. And quite frankly, like, and I'm not, I guess I am defending the refs, but they're doing their, the best they can. You know, the, the thing about implicit biases is that you don't realize that they're influencing your decision. And like, that's one of the biggest problems with that, those types of things, not just in sports, but in life. Like when you have those implicit biases, you don't realize how much they influence the way you think and the way you act. So in the moment, you know, referees are doing the best that they can and they're doing to like everything to the best of their abilities. And they may not necessarily realize, you know, that they're not calling as much on a certain player or they're calling more on other players, you know, like Tom Brady is going to get a lot of calls, but Baker Mayfield may not. It's funny though, because I feel like, and we could probably have an entire episode just when it comes to. Oh my refs. God. Yes. Yeah. But it feels like there are superstars on the Browns that don't get that same benefit. Like Miles Garrett. Like when is the last time they've actually called holding when someone's trying to defend Miles Garrett? Because you're right. He is 
an animal and a beast. And I feel like, of course, they're going to hold him because sometimes that's the only thing that they can do in order to stop him. Like, it's almost like the LeBron James effect in basketball where I feel like LeBron gets fouled super hard sometimes and he doesn't get calls because he's that large of a specimen. Yeah. And it doesn't look like it's a hard foul because of how big he is. I, I, I don't know. Like, it just that's kind of what the mile situation reminds me of. But you're right. I mean, implicit bias is definitely a thing. There's HR training that a lot of us have to take for that in our day-to-day jobs. And maybe the referees need a little bit of a refresher there. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's tough because the only way you're going to have a flawlessly called game is if you have robots because humans are going to make mistakes. And, you know, like, are you perfect in your job every day? Like, no, I'm not perfect in my job every day. Like, nobody is. So, and and unfortunately for referees, when they make mistakes, like, they're on a national stage. Yeah, yeah and, I, and I understand, too. Like, these plays are happening in matters of seconds, and they have to make a judgment call in a split second. Uh, but I don't understand why the NFL, though, will not try to address what seems to be an even bigger issue, not even just for the Browns, but, like, having a sky judge in a booth on some of these pass interference calls like in my mind like there's nothing there's no harm like I don't feel like it's going to take extra time to be able to say like hey didn't see a foul on that just pick up the flag no penalty like let them play I I really think like if they could figure that piece out and get it right because honestly I feel like the advantage goes to the offense I mean if you're a defender like it's almost impossible to play defense yeah I mean like you you can almost like not even touch the opposing player and then half the time it feels like the balls that the quarterbacks are throwing aren't even catchable but it's still being called I mean it's I just like the advantage is is heavy on the offensive side unless you're the Cleveland Browns and you're on the offensive side of the ball but uh and now now you can't even like put your hands on your head and say nanny nanny boo boo because then you're gonna get called for taunting (laughs) taunting yes (laughs) so I'm going to go over just a few other stats, and I do want to pause and come back to the penalties um, just for one other point. Um, But, Meredith, there were three turnovers from the offense and then zero takeaways from the defense. So, again, like, really tough to overcome. Um, In addition to turnovers, Baker was sacked five times in the game. Um, The offense, they were three for ten on third downs, one for four on fourth downs, and we'll get into that a little bit, and then one for three in the red zone. On the flip side, the defense allowed eight for 15 third down conversions. And then they allowed, they were, the Cardinals were one for one on fourth down conversions. And they, um, they got four scores in the red zone. So again, pretty unbalanced when you look at all of those stats. Um, but I want to go back to the penalties just for a minute to talk about the impact that I think this is having on the offense. Um, so, and I understand there were some backup offensive tackles playing in this game. Um, but there were some pretty big mistakes that were made to start this, to start these two drives off for the offense that put them in a second and 15 position and or third and 11s or third and long. I feel like this offense, and it even happened like in games prior to this. Uh, I mean, Jed Wills was getting called for penalties, um, Mm -hmm. false starts, whatnot. Like this has been a pretty consistent theme for the offense. But I think this is a huge problem that isn't being talked about enough. Number one, because it makes it easier for the defense to figure out the play call, right? I I know Kevin Stefanski oftentimes will choose to run the ball or throw a screen pass in a second and long, third and long, because he has Kareem Hunt and and Nick Chubb. But in yesterday's game... He did not. Yeah, he only had Kareem Hunt. Nick Chubb was not a threat in this game. Um, So I felt like it it makes it really tough on a play caller to be put in this position because Mm -hmm. you then become a little bit more predictable. And then number two, if they are in a second and long, they're not making up enough ground in the calls that they are playing to be able to have third down be manageable. And a lot of times I think that's why we're going we're going for it on fourth down, which we haven't been converting. I don't know. Like, I just think that that there's been a lot of criticism for the fourth downs and going for it. But I think we got to talk about what's happening to get them in this position in the first place. Yeah. And also, I have been noticing a lot more that defenses are scheming specifically for for Kareem Hunt like they they know the type of runner he is they know the type of runner that Nick Chubb is 
and Kareem Hunt gets stuffed at the line of scrimmage a lot and that's not his fault like I know you were you were busy doing other personal things today so you were probably a little bit disconnected but um I forget who it was I think it was was it Wyatt Teller on his press conference today that said that they were running a 6-2 yeah. defensive scheme to essentially mm-hmm. like shut I mean they had zero respect for a pass game rightfully so it hasn't really been existent yeah because that's just one of those things where everyone is screaming hand the ball to Nick Chubb hand the ball to Kareem Hunt and you can't you can't run on every single play and even if you did defenses figure it out like there's you know there's only one really type of you know defense that they really have to worry like if you're gonna call running plays every single time right then yeah you're gonna have defenders double triple quadruple teaming kareem hunt and then you're gonna have these guys on players like austin hooper or um you know, or Rashard Higgins because they're expecting those short screen passes. So it's, but yeah, I, I did see, I was like, it was on social media a little bit today, not a lot, but yeah, I did see the quote from the press conference about that defense from the Cardinals. I mean, and that makes perfect sense yes. because like, that's what teams should be doing because once Nick Chubb, I mean, and I know Nick Chubb didn't play, but like when you're in a situation where Nick Chubb has the ball, if you give him an inch, he's going to take a mile and with Kareem Hunt, he's such a physical player that you don't even need to give him an inch. He's going to take the inch and then turn it into a mile. And, you know, it, it gets to the point where you just you can't rely on the same one or two people. And that's one of the things that we were seeing with OBJ last year before he got injured was he was getting double, twip, triple, quadruple teamed because defenses were expecting Baker to go to him. Yes. Every single time. And now that that's not really the concern they're expecting him to hand it to Nick Chubb to Kareem Hunt you know to his you know two best backs and run it every single time like that's what they're expecting so it makes perfect sense that that's what the Cardinals did and that was smart defensive planning yeah and so I want to this this actually all goes into a couple of topics we want to talk about um in regards to both Kevin as well as the offense. Um, so I want to get right into it. So let's start with the offense since we're kind of talking about it. Um, it's been a pretty inconsistent one at that. We mm-hmm. have not had strong play from the offense consistently since the season started. And I think we were all excited about this year because we had a quarterback all of the returning starters, a head coach, uh, an offensive coordinator that were all consistent for the second year in a row. And we all expected that this offense would only get better. It would evolve uh, as we should expect that to happen because we ended last year on a really high note. And so I think it was normal for us fans to have expectations that the offense would be explosive. I mean, when you just look at the roster, you should be one of the best offenses in the league. And then when you couple that with how the offense was performing at the end of last year, of course it should get better. This to me is the biggest letdown thus far in the season. I almost feel like they look more out of sorts than the defense does. And we will talk about the defense because they do not look good either. Yeah. Well, also we were, the Browns were on backup offensive linemen yesterday. Like, yes. the, like they were on backups, backups of backups of backups and Baker Mayfield was pressured on almost every single play. And I think that that is something that can't be ignored. You know, like his, his, the, the, backups on his offensive line they just weren't protecting him the way he should like yeah there were moments where he did have a lot of time to throw the ball and to go through his reads but for the most part you know like outside of Wyatt Teller doing his thing and you know but you know Wyatt Teller is not a left tackle so it like he just didn't have the protection and I think that also showed as well because when Baker Mayfield doesn't have protection his weapons don't have protection like his his weapons don't have lanes that they can go down you know like it's going to be harder for 
um, you know, for OBJ or for DPJ to, you know, run their routes. It's going to be harder for Kareem Hunt to find his lane. Like it just when your offensive line isn't clicking. And I think that's one of the reasons why the Browns offense was so good last year was they had one of the best offensive lines in the entire football league. And they still do, but half of them are injured. And I think that that is definitely a factor into what's going on with this offense. I I understand the tackle position has been probably as inconsistent as this entire offense. And, And I think what makes me frustrated about this, like I get that Baker can probably only overcome so much when it comes to having a challenging offensive line and and an ever-revolving door at the tackle position, right? Because we saw how not having a good offensive line impacted him in 2019, amongst other things. But I think that was definitely a big factor into how he performed. And in 2020, he definitely seemed to thrive with that offensive line and the protection. However, I think there are ways that you can get around the weakness on the offensive line. And things were clearly not working yesterday. And they knew that they were going to be without two key offensive tackle positions. But somehow they didn't scheme for that. And it felt like throughout the entire game, there were no adjustments being made for your struggling quarterback. I just yeah. I just really, really struggle. And Meredith, I don't know if you saw my tweet. I, um, I quote tweeted, Jake Burns put out a highlight um, earlier in the day that is really just head scratching. Um, it's a clip of, um, one of the plays where I think this happened in the third quarter, if I'm not mistaken, um, Baker pitches it to Kareem Hunt, and then you see Odell um, reversing around, and it looks like Kareem should pitch it to OBJ, who then pretty much has a clear lane into the end zone because the entire defense is shifting following Kareem, and he doesn't pitch it. He instead, like, Kareem instead, like, runs. I don't even think he gains a yard. He just goes up the middle and gets stuffed at the line. And I look at that and I feel like this offense is just not even close to being on the same page. And I don't understand like where the breakdowns are happening. Yeah. There's a lot of things on this team that's baffling to me right now. And like, I don't have the answers. Um, None of us do. We're not paid yeah. to have the answers. <laughs> yeah, I, and that's and that's unfortunate because these are valid questions and valid concerns. And you would hope that you know Kevin Stefanski has these same questions and concerns, and I'm sure that he does. But yeah, the, some there are things on this team that do not make sense right now. Like yes. I feel like this team is in. The twilight zone um and i was thinking about this with like the defense i don't know if you want if you're ready to move on to the defense or not i want to talk about kevin stefanski a little bit um just in regards to the offense and and obviously he has a hand in the defense as well so it'll we can we can talk about that but i want to ask you a question like is the honeymoon over for him I'm not saying like he needs to be fired. Let me let me just no one twist my words no, right now. I just want to talk about like the honeymoon period, which was clearly all of 2020. I just want to know, and this is one of the things that is in the twilight zone for me. There's like a weird disconnect where his play calling last year was so brilliant and everything yes. that he called worked. And even when it didn't work, it wasn't detrimental. Like there were there were times where Kevin called you know, a a trick play or something that was like a little off, like a weird thing. And it may not have worked, but it wasn't a situation where they were, where Baker was getting sacked for 25 yards or something like that. You know, like, yes, if if something didn't work, it wasn't something that was detrimental to the drive. And this year, it just feels like it's completely different. The stuff that he's calling, he's not necessarily calling bad plays. And when he is calling bad plays, he acknowledges it. But... It's like when he's calling these plays, things don't make sense. Like he's not doing things that's he's not doing things smart in in some way, shape. And that pains me to say it because he's he's a million times smarter than I could ever hope right. to be. Like Kevin all Stefanski, Kevin Stefanski is going to forget more about life than I'll ever know. And but there are situations that are head scratching, and it's curious that his that his play calling just isn't clicking this year and I'm not entirely sure 
what's going on and what the difference is because he's not a different person from last year. Like everything is, everything is the same. Like he's the same. His offense is the same. His staff is the same. I don't understand. And this is the part that's so vexing to me. Well, do you think it kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier though, with like, you know, the situations that he's in as a play caller are not how things should be going so like obviously like there's a script there's there's some of a script that has to happen but then also like I don't want to say unprepared because I don't think that is the right word but it's almost as if the offense not being able to execute plays that he's calling is throwing off the entire rhythm and when you look at last year you go back to last year when the team was succeeding the offense specifically was succeeding Baker and Kevin were in a rhythm. It it felt very natural. And you haven't really gotten that feeling. Maybe maybe a little bit against the Chargers, they they got into that rhythm. And even against um, Kansas City. And those are obviously both losses, which sucks to say that. Mm -hmm. Um, But they felt like they were more in sync, the two of them together. But, But right now, so far this year, more often than not, Baker and Kevin don't seem to have that, that connection. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, and I don't know if, like, Baker's injury has something to do with it. Like, maybe Kevin Stefanski is being more conservative with his play calling, not because he doesn't trust Baker, but because he doesn't want Baker to get hurt any further than he already is. And, you know, Baker the workhorse, he's going to, you know, he's going to play through everything. Like, he could probably have, you know, two broken legs and two missing arms, and he'd still insist that he could throw. You know, because he's just that type of um, that that person like Baker's never going to give up and he's never going to lighten up on anything. So I sometimes I wonder if maybe maybe it's Stefanski trying to protect Baker and in his own way, maybe. I don't know. I'm grasping at straws here. No, it's and so I want to talk about I want to talk about that with Baker and the injury, too. Do you like the decision that he made to put Baker back in there after Baker was laying on the field for, I don't know, eight minutes straight? No. Clutching his shoulder? Like, Baker should have been out for the rest of the game after that. Like, I know Case Keenum went in eventually, and at that point, like, it was garbage time anyway. Like, they're like, Colt McCoy was in for the Cardinals. So, like, it didn't really matter. But, yeah, I mean, when when that happens, uh, if I was Kevin Stefanski, I would have taken him out. Like, he had to go to the medical tent, and we don't know what happens in there because it's, like, super secret. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, like, I don't – I would not have put – I don't know if – I mean – Yeah, so the argument on that is it was still a two-score game, right? I mean, Baker yeah. fumbled on that possession, and the Cardinals got it. it was, they were on, like, their own 45-yard line, I believe. But to me, like, that game did not feel like we were in any spot to win it. And I was just sitting there thinking, isn't the risk far better than the reward? The risk is that your quarterback re-injures himself and he's out for the entire season, which that's still probably a question mark at this point. I was seeing people talking about, like, Baker potentially needing surgery. And it's still not confirmed that he's going to be able to play. Uh, Well, he like, the thing is, he's... He's going to need surgery yes. eventually um, because that's the thing about labrums and I'm no medical expert, but you know, I, I thankfully am in a position where I do have friends who work in orthopedics and they say that like labrums, things like cartilage, that's not the type of thing that repairs itself. It's not like a strain where, you know, with a little bit of rest, ice, and elevation, you know, with your rice, you know, it, it can get better. Like, the only way to fix a torn labrum is with surgery. So, you know, Baker has a decision to make of, you know, can he play through it? Or or is he going to get surgery? And if he gets surgery, his, his season is over. Right. And um, there's no telling when he's going to come back. I imagine I would expect him to come back sooner than rather than later because, you know, he is a professional athlete and they have a tendency to heal and recover very quickly, not like because they're physical specimens and they have the best, you know, training and doctors at their disposal. But like he's going to need surgery eventually, whether it comes this season or at the 
end of his career when he's done playing, like at some point he's going to have to. So I just, I think the hard part is nobody except for Baker and his doctors know how bad it is. Yeah. And obviously you have Baker who is potentially in a contract year. Like this is probably a business decision for him, right? He wants to play. He wants to earn his money. And I think there's there's a lot of question marks about Baker and his future. And rightfully mm-hmm. so. So like I understand his his desire to continue to play. And and I'll give him that. Like no one is questioning Baker's heart. Like no one. No one can question that. Like he's no. tough as nails. He wants to be out there. He wants to win football games. I just didn't like the fact that they couldn't see past I don't know if it was stubbornness or whatever was happening in that game. But like, to me, that was, that was a bit of a reckless decision. Well, I mean, and, and on top of that, Case Keenum is a perfectly adequate yes, backup that's quarterback. why you're paying him $6 million. Yeah. If you are looking at this game and saying it's a two, it is a two possession game. You have like, you have to be able to trust Case Keenum to get some of those possessions, you know, like you, you don't want like, I mean, you don't want to pay a man that much money to literally do nothing when at one point in his career, he was a starter. So yeah, like Kate, like, and that was one of the things that we talked about in the off season. And that was one of the confidences that we had is confidence is even a word. I don't know. I am so tired right now, Brie. I can't even, <laughs> it's fine. but one of, but one of the, like some of the confidence that we had in Kevin Stefanski was that his the offensive weapons were so solid and the offensive line was so solid and his play calling was so solid that you could literally pluck baker out of the field put case keenum in and he should be able to score and be able to execute these plays like that was one of the things we talked about in the offseason like you know if baker you know and i i'm Pray that this is not the case. I hope that he's okay. But if something happened where he is out for the rest of the season, like I don't think that Case Keenum is a Super Bowl winning quarterback, but we were convinced that everything else around him would elevate him. Right. And Kevin Stefanski would call plays that he'd be able to execute and the Browns would be fine. That was the whole mindset going into the season. So if you had that mindset, and maybe this is just me projecting, like, why wouldn't you want to say, okay, like, I trust Case Keenum to execute my plays? Yeah. I don't know. It was a little bit head-scratching, especially considering we have a game coming up on Thursday. Or God, they have a game coming so up fast. on Thursday. So fast. And obviously, we'll get into it a little bit. But not the type of news you want to hear coming out of today uh, as you head into a very quick turnaround. Um, but like I said, we'll get into it. To wrap up the Stefanski thing, um, so... Baker is injured. He has been injured for a few weeks now. And the game plan going into this, especially with two offensive tackles that are one a rookie, the other one a fill-in who is actually a guard who's playing left tackle, not his own position. Yeah. Kevin Stefanski put Baker Mayfield in an empty backfield, like, way more than he ever has this season. So, again, like, I just really found myself questioning, like, was he doing that to get Odell Beckham more involved? Like, I I really just can't figure out the thought process that is happening this season. It almost, I almost wonder if, you know, instead of like, <laughs> you know, the whole like checkers, Chaz, Cones of Dunshire, you know, analogies I always like to make. It almost feels like, like if you tried to pull a chess move, while you're legitimately playing checkers, you're probably going to lose because it's not going to work out. And I almost wonder if maybe that could be something that's going on, that maybe Kevin Stefanski is maybe thinking, you know, maybe instead of thinking two to three plays ahead, he's thinking like 10 plays ahead. And then the, you know, the game unfolds in front of him, not in a way he expected. I don't know. Again, I'm grasping at straws. I'm projecting. I am making excuses. Um, I don't know. I, I genuinely don't know because that's one of those things that I'm like scratching my head at that I don't understand because I don't I genuinely don't know where the disconnect is because Kevin Stefanski is one of the smartest football minds we have ever seen. Yeah, like, there's no taking that away from him, you know, and he's an, an incredible leader. 
and just we have nothing but good things to say about Kevin Stefanski here. Like we uh, like obviously we made shirts for him. Yes, but <laughs> it's it's okay. It's, it's the... okay to be critical. I think, and we're not calling yeah. for Kevin Stefanski or anyone on the no. staff at this point to be fired. Like, let's just make that perfectly clear. Like, yeah, I mean, it, I think like that's the biggest thing is that none of us want to start over. Like, we no. don't want we don't want a new quarterback. We don't want a new head coach. We don't want a new general manager because like there's it's going to be another decade of sadness if you try to start all over again yes you know and you've got the pieces there to make this work baker has the talent kevin stefanski has the knowledge it's there so if there's anybody and i think i did see and i think that this is one of the reasons why i decided to just turn off my phone today which is a lie it wasn't off because i was still you know texting you guys and stuff but at least turn off the social media part of what I was doing today. Cause I did see a few fire Stefanski tweets oh, yeah. and I'm like, okay, all right, all right. All right. Calm, calm your tits. Like I think they came during the game yesterday. Oh my God. It's the <laughs> dumbest thing. And like, everyone is so like in the moment overreactionary. And I'm like, what do you think? Like who, who are the, who are the Browns going to hire? If they fire Kevin Stefanski, John, like, what, you think they're going to hire John Gruden? Like, come on. Like, there's no head, like, there is no coach out there available who is more capable and more talented than Kevin Stefanski. So, like, I mean, and that was the same question that I would ask the people who were, you know, even at the beginning of the year who were saying trade Baker Mayfield. My question was always for what? Yeah. Yeah. What are you trading him for? Right. Because you're not going to get a, a quarterback that's better than him in any return. Like, you you can't trade for Aaron Rodgers. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, Everybody seems to think that's actually, like, a viable option at this point in time. Like, come well, on, and people. I think, I think also people seem to think that you can do a one-for-one. One. Like, you can just trade Baker Mayfield for Aaron Rodgers. Like, no. Like, if, if Andrew Barry went to the Packers and said... I'm going to trade you. I want Aaron Rodgers. You can have Baker Mayfield. They're like, okay, yeah, well, give me, you know, this, 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 and like seven of your draft picks in return. You know, it's not just going to be an even one-for-one trade. And I don't, I don't know. I, I just, sometimes when people say these things, when they say things like fire Kevin Stefanski or trade Baker Mayfield, the first question that pops in my head, out well, the first question is for whom? The second question is, do you even watch football? Yeah. Because like, do you even pay attention to sports in general because in any trade for with that involves baker mayfield you are not going to get a quarterback in return that is better than he is that you're just not and the only way you are is if you give up a lot of other critical pieces and we've seen with this team they can't give up anything so i just it doesn't make sense that people seem to think that these one-for-one trades are possible and that these one-for-one trades happen it's so rare in sports where you see one-for-one trades yeah, these all these Browns. This is why they're Twitter GMs, you know, because they don't actually have yeah. solutions. Yeah, I mean that's that's the thing. Like that's what like I just genuinely do not understand, and I just don't know like whether these people are like in their own universes or whatever. Where like like I don't know. They probably play too much Madden and think the real world works like Madden. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so let's move on from one coach to the other who is also getting attacked with we should fire him immediately, and that is Joe Woods in the defense. Um, so, again, when you talk about inconsistency, the defense is another head-scratcher. We have a good defense against bad teams. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much how I would sum things up at this point in time, right? We can bully the bad teams. We can bully the bad offenses. Yeah. But when you throw a, a good offense on the field – we can't we're not a good we're not a good defense I'm sitting here watching Monday Night Football and the Bills are a legit defense I sat there and had to watch the freaking Pittsburgh Steelers win in overtime and you want to know what carried them their defense the Browns need to have a consistent defense and what is so confusing about this situation is we had clear personnel upgrades over last year we all saw in 2020 what happened last year with the players that we had in place. And I think we all kind of gave Joe Woods a little bit of slack given what he was dealt with. But now I don't know if we have that excuse anymore. We continue to see miscommunication woes on the field. There are top wide receivers that are running wide ass open. Now this is two weeks in a row. We've had to see this go down the Browns offense 
when is a receiver ever that wide open? Yeah, I mean, there were, like, I don't even think DeAndre Hopkins' jersey got I yesterday. mean, come on. Like, that that one touchdown pass that where he got where he was just, like, wide open, chilling in the end zone. Like, I think he's made himself a cup of coffee and had a donut while he was waiting for that <laughs> ball to come crap, to him. took crap, too. <laughs> you know and that he had was... time meredith he had time to poop yeah yeah he had his coffee and then took his coffee poop and then had his donut and his second cup of coffee like i just oh my god i hate that was the, hate that's it. the other i hate everything about that <laughs> that's the other and, and that's the other part of this equation that i'm not understanding whereas like we like this andrew barry literally acquired 50% of the best secondary in the NFL last year in Troy Hill and John Johnson, the third, and they have been largely ineffective. I don't know how you can give Joe Woods, John Johnson, the third and Jadavion Clowney and Miles Garrett. And s- the defense still screws up. Okay. How is that even possible? So there are two very different sides to, to the defense in terms of like fan base perception you have the fire Joe Woods crowd who has been voicing that opinion now for two years, right? This is this is mm. now going on for two years. Fire Joe Woods, regardless of the talent that he has, they want him fired. You have the other crowd who I would say probably falls a little bit into the middle. Like, let's not fire Joe Woods. Let's give him some some more. Let's give him some more chances. I think that's probably where we fall a little bit. But now I think those people are starting to question why this continues to happen because yeah, you're, you are right. Like I'm kind of in that same boat where can you please explain to me? And I wish someone would ask this question and it's probably too controversial to ask at a press conference, but someone asked the question to Kevin Stefanski, the head coach, by the way, he coaches the defense. He is still responsible for the defense. Mind you, how is it that you get some of the best secondary players in the offseason added to your roster this year and they are somehow less productive and worse than they are last year? Somebody needs to answer that question and be held accountable. Because if you're going to say that it's the scheme that they're running, then you need to make some changes. Maybe Joe Woods doesn't need to be fired, but maybe you need to reevaluate exactly what you were doing on defense because something is not working. I am angry. Yeah, it's like it's like Andrew Barry is a head chef and Joe Woods is a sous chef. And Andrew Barry says, here are the finest ingredients in the entire world to make the most beautiful Thanksgiving dinner. Make us a delicious dinner. And then he just throws them out the window and goes and then goes to McDonald's and says, here, I got you some chicky nuggies. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, that's that's what it feels like, because I was not in the fire Joe Woods camp last year because I realized what he was working with like outside of miles garrett and denzel ward he didn't have anything right he did not have anything and you know super friend of the show super friend of ours in real life rufus tweeted yesterday i miss anderson dejo and i was like <laughs> rufus Take no it back. Take it back. <laughs> don't say that um but yeah that's that's i don't understand I don't they know, can that's where the other disconnect come from. Get off the field. They cannot. Yeah. It is painful. And what I will say, like being in person at the stadium, you know, you think that they would feed off that energy. The, the stadium was incredibly loud last night, like during the third downs, even mm-hmm. during the fourth down that, that they ended up converting. But they were loud. Like they were willing the team to make a play. And, and, and like, it almost sucks everything out of the stadium when they don't. It's like, oh, wide receiver, wide open, completed pass. And it's not even like a few yards. It's like 10 yards plus some. In some cases, 25, like 25 yards. yards down the field. Yes. Like, I, It is just, it is deflating. And so. I mean, yeah, I can't count how many times Kyler Murray was put in a third and long situation and then he throws a 25-yard bomb down the field. Yeah, I mean, I think at one point at the beginning of the game, I think it was, I don't know, was it third and 19? And then he freaking throws a touchdown pass. Like, I'm yeah. sorry, but yeah, explain that to me. And that is exactly how you take a crowd out of a game. I mean, the crowd, and don't blame us. Like, we sit there and we cheer our butts off, and the defense can't stop them and get them off the field. Like, 
It's a joke. They're on that freaking big screen, like, <laughs> and everybody's yelling and hooting and hollering. And then it's like, oh, Anna completed pass. Oh my God. I know exactly the sound you're talking about. It's a third <laughs> There are some things that'll like haunt my nightmare. <laughs> it's that. Um, no, actually, I want to say it was like, I think it's like Boston College. Like there was one year me and one of my best friends from college traveled to um, Boston to go to a Virginia Tech Boston College game and they do like bells <laughs> on third down. Oh, no. And it's the most annoying thing. It's been like 10 years since we went to that game. And I still have nightmares about those third down bells. Although Virginia Tech did win 19 to nothing that game. So that does not give me yeah, nightmares. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> but, but yeah, but like, yeah, like right? yeah, there are certain like there are certain sounds in sports that'll haunt me for the rest of my life. Now, the third down in First Energy Stadium won't. Okay, like, right now I, that's haunting like, me. Like that's yeah. all like that's all I hear because you hear well, okay. it constantly and then like nothing ever this. happens. I will say this oh, I think maybe it's haunting you because you heard it so often. <laughs> um but I mean as far as like stadium noises go, like the third down, you know, announcement in first energy is not bad at all. Like it's probably one of the least offensive like sports sounds I've I've experienced. But yeah, I think when you're hearing it over and over again and you hear it because the opposing team is in these third down situations and then converting and then they're in a third down situation again <laughs> yes. and then they convert and then they're in a third down situation again and then they convert and then next thing you know deandre hopkins is making tea in the end zone and catching touchdown passes yes i'm literally like just give it up guy like just give it up like we know it's third <laughs> yeah. down and we know they're going to convert like let's not even bring it up maybe maybe it'll change our <laughs> luck let's just act like it's yes. not third down like sh baby be cool yeah, Come on. Sh yeah like, act cool it's fine got this <laughs> Um, so yeah, the defense, they have a lot to work on. Um, and we have to get into this because, you know, the team on both sides of the ball, they've had flashes of looking good this year. Um, but unfortunately we've looked more bad than we've looked good and we can't keep it together for an entire game. Um, mm -hmm. so, you know, is it, we're three and three, 500 record. Have we reached troubled waters, Meredith? Like, are we already in troubled waters? Is the ship sinking or is it only sinking after Thursday if we lose? <laughs> uh, I mean, it's not sinking yet. Um, we're only six games into a very long season. Um, you know, the Browns have only lost three games. Now, I don't see this happening, but in a perfect world, if they win out the rest of the season, that's 14 and three. And then all of a sudden we forget this game you know cool. um so i mean like it is it's still early and the browns are at 500 and so there's still there's still hope alive um you know there are there are still there is still a path to the super bowl for this team however with if they play again the way they played against the cardinals then no there's no super bowl hope so i just i think I think whatever is vexing this team, wherever the disconnect is, they need to connect it really quick because I just don't think that this fan base could Ooh. handle bad things happening this year because like when you had Hugh Jackson coaching the team, like I, I think the hope people had was superficial like I think they understood that this team was in tanking mode and you could kind of see that you know they didn't have the talent and Hugh Jackson wasn't as good as everyone thought he was and you know I think with like the optimism that came with Freddie Kitchens and then the letdown and then the the optimism that came with Kevin Stefanski who lived up to expectations in his first year if that falls off this year then I just I like I don't I don't want to know what's going to happen with this fan base because it has it, it has already been toxic enough this past two weeks. Yes. Agreed. I mean, here here's the thing. So the injuries continue to stack up. Um, the bad news of today yes. is everyone, everyone knows Kareem Hunt um, will miss multiple games and is expected to potentially go on IR. It's looking like maybe four to six weeks. Also, JOK is expected to miss similar amount of time with a high ankle injury. Uh, Baker Mayfield at this point in time, as we know it, is still day-to-day, -day, not confirmed if he will play on Thursday night, as is Odell Beckham Jr. 
And then the three players that did not play on Sunday are all still questionable. Jed Wills, Jack Conkling, Nick Chubb. And then I don't know if you caught Jarvis the injury Landry. report. Yeah, Jarvis Landry. I'm not sure if you caught the injury report, but there are 20 people on it. Yeah, that's I mean, I don't know if there's any. Te- is there a team that is as banged up as the Cleveland Browns are? So, OK, I want to talk about this. The Baltimore Ravens started the season just as banged up, if not more banged up than the Browns. I mean, they were on their, what, fourth string running back, and then they had to go yeah. sign Le'Veon Bell. Um, Can't take it with you, Le'Veon. That's right. I mean, like, I hate to say this, but, like, it is what it is at this point. Like, you're injured. A lot of other teams are, too. And good teams figure out a way to win, even when you have, like, you have to overcome these injuries. I get it. It sucks. Like, we are missing some critical players to this team. But, like, I have to sit here and watch the Ravens rip off five games in a row just as injured, if not more, than we are. And then you have the freaking Pittsburgh Steelers, who has a dinosaur throwing the football for them. But their defense <laughs> is carrying them through these games. They're well, these are well-coached teams. And, and I hate to, like, bring up these two teams specifically because they're obviously in our division. Um, but, like, that's what we have to deal with. Like, I... I am sick of the excuses. Like, I know that the Browns have every reason to lose this game on Thursday. Find a way to win. I don't care what that is. I don't care if you have to hand the ball off 100 times to Dearness Johnson and Demetric Felton if Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunter out. Stick to what works and what you know. Like, stick to the Cleveland Browns way of football. Like, I just don't want to see Baker Mayfield going out there with one arm and trying to sling the ball with no protection in an empty backfield and throwing interceptions and fumbling the ball. Like, I don't want to see that. Right. Yeah. I, I agree. I agree. I don't know, Meredith. I I did not think that we would be feeling this way at this point in the season. You know, I, I, I don't remember how we picked the Browns season to go. Like, I think we may have, you and I may have still picked them to, like, lose five I think I might have picked them to still lose six games last year I picked them to be 10 and six they were 11 and five they overachieved my expectations I think this Mm -hmm. year I may have still picked them to lose six games and go 11 and six it's crazy though that this year looks to be another year of like you may have to have a really solid record in order to make the playoffs yeah I mean and that's I think that's one of the things that's also maybe underlying for Browns fans is the Steelers are starting to turn around a little bit like they they did not look great at the beginning of the year. And, and suddenly Big Ben is starting to figure things out. And like Joe Burrow is starting to play really well. And the Bengals are yeah. starting to become a threat. Yeah. The Bengals and the are Ravens have, too. Yeah. The Ravens have always been a threat. So I think that could also be an underlying thing with this Browns fan base is that they are looking at the rest of the AFC North and realizing how tough this division is. And the Browns have not played a single divisional game yet. Like, their first divisional game is is on Halloween. Yeah, and here's the thing. I was just going to say that. You can still win the division. You're 3-3. Three and three. You can still win the division. Go yeah. win football games. Go win against your division rival teams. Like, you have three home games in a row. You lost one of them. Go take the next two. Go win on Thursday, banged up against the freaking Broncos, because nobody thinks you're going to be able to do it. Actually, Vegas thinks they're still going to win. But... Nobody in Brown's <laughs> fandom thinks you're going to win. And then go beat the Steelers. You got 10 days off to figure it out and, and readjust on this little mini bye week and then go freaking rock the Steelers at home. That's all I want to see. That's all I want to yeah. see. Yeah. Go do it. Do the thing. Do the freaking thing. Figure it out. Kevin, Baker, Joe Woods, John Johnson. <laughs> go freaking do it. Win for the guys that can't play. <laughs> you know what's really funny is I've noticed that – um and I like at any time, and this is one of the reasons why I always try to say like Stefanski or Coach Stefanski is because I've noticed that like in people's like Karen videos, if it's like a dude being a Karen, they call him a Kevin. So like I can't, I can't listen to, I can't take someone seriously when their name is Kevin. So I don't think of Kevin Stefanski. I either have to say the full name or just Stefanski because if I say go get it, Kevin, like I just it's such a I can't. Do I it. always think about Home Alone. Yes. Kevin! Come on! Which is also fitting. (laughs) 
Oh my god. Well, new GIF idea for oh, Twitter during the games. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Yeah, I, I think I might have seen that before, but I've been doing a lot of yelling <laughs> this episode, so I apologize if you guys have your volume up. I'm you sorry. You know what? It's okay. I think we, like, we deserve to be able to yell because I'm sure that the Browns are yelling too. Like, they're not happy. They're not happy with this. Like, I, you know, because this is a this is a different attitude with this team than it was, you know, in, in the sad years yeah. when the team was tanking. They were tanking for Baker Mayfield, you know? Yeah. So, you know, there there's a different aura around this team. Like, this is the aura of a team that can win. So uh, I imagine that they are also yelling <laughs> yeah I not, not in public them. but probably like in private you know I just hope they come out on Thursday like fired up I want them to play physical it felt like they were out physical yesterday um pretty pretty significantly like it just felt like we got bullied around which is pretty atypical for this Kevin Stefanski team um I don't think like that's been a big problem for us with this regime um but yeah it, it just they just did not match the level of intensity that the Cardinals brought. And the Cardinals, like, 6-0. and Like, if I were the Browns, I would have been fired up to play an undefeated team and, like, go make a statement. Like, mm-hmm. statement win right there. I mean, just such a letdown. But you know what? Three days from now, we'll be doing the same thing all over again. Hopefully a different result. Yeah, hopefully. Whew. That wraps us up, Meredith. I am yeah. now exhausted from the yelling. I know. I've... <laughs> I have I have definitely I have been exhausted. I have been struggling through today. I don't like I feel like my like I feel like I've got the like the tired voice, if that makes sense. Like my voice is deeper, my throat is sore, it's not COVID, it's just tired and weather change. Yeah. Water tornadoes. I... Like it has been it has been a struggle of a day. I didn't even have the heart to get on the Reddit boards. Like I just I just can't. I can't do yeah. it. I can't do it. So it'll it'll be back. I promise you. I promise you. We'll we'll get rival Reddit back. But oh yeah, hurts too much right now. It was a lot of fun a few weeks ago. <laughs> now it's not so fun. <laughs> I know. Now that you know, now that the Browns are not winning, it's not. And it's the not and fun. the Steelers are. Yeah, it's not fun. Sure isn't. Sure isn't. All right, everyone. Well, thank you for tuning in. Um, hopefully, we are in better spirits next week um we do have a special interview lined up hopefully we'll be able to confirm that and announce that soon but on the mini buy we'll be bringing you something special and uh thank you guys all for listening sticking with us we hope you are enjoying these episodes win or lose as always please reach out to us on twitter let us know your thoughts um and your feelings as well we are here to commiserate with you rate and review us if you get a chance and we will talk to you guys all next week <laughs> <laughs>